0: Good morning. Good morning this is the day the Lord has made. All oh, can I say it? Happy Valentine's Day to you. You all be my sweethearts. Yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Woo! <laughs>
0: Uh, good to see you this morning have uh, a beautiful day and at this time as we begin our worship our melody makers are going to call us to worship as we now bring our songs our music our prayers and our lives on this first Sunday of Lent unto Jesus Christ Melody Makers. Let's uh, stand as we join together in our hymn of celebration number 159, Lift High the Cross.
2: call. That's what someone told me. And, and then Gloria called me because someone told her that you needed a wake-up call. Now, the month of February is African American History Month. So, I want to recite two verses of the Slave Code song. Now, I, I'm using this because I want you to know In every ethnic history, there's a code song. Every prisoner and enslaved person had a code song to let them know what they were gonna do. So one of the code African-American songs, I've been missing you, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) is when Israel was in Egypt, land, let my people go. And of course, you know, they were talking about the slave owners to let them go, but they were codes. In that, in the words of that song, that told them when they were going and how they were going. And if you talk about your history, some of us family members who were enslaved could tell you their code. All of us had a similarity. So I tell you one thing. I don't care if your relatives came over by the boat. I don't care if you came on under the boat. We all here now in the same boat. (laughs) Bill Withers made this song very popular. And I want you to listen to the words because Lord have mercy we don't want to ask nobody what time it is we don't want anybody to help us, we can do it ourselves lean on me when you're not strong I'll be your friend I'll help you Carry on For It Won't Be long Cause I'm Gonna Need Somebody So. Swallow, swallow your pride if I have things you need to borrow for. show you come on you gotta help me now you just call on me brother when you need a hand we all need somebody to lean on I just might have a problem that you'll understand we all need somebody To lean on if there is a load you have to bear that you can't carry on right up the road I'll share your load if you just call me, call me when you need a friend, call me, call me, call me. Now, we all gonna have to do something, lean, lean. Make friends with the person near you and just lean. The power of touch is healing, the power of touch. Isn't that sweet? Isn't it sweet? It's sweet. It's Valentine's Day, the power of touch. Lean on me. Thank you. Happy Valentine.
0: Thank you, Lois. Thank you. As we come to our time of prayer, I would invite you to turn in your hymn books to our prayer hymn, which is the Old Rugged Cross, number 504, and we'll sing the first and third verses. pray eternal god in the name of jesus christ we come to the foot of the throne of your grace this morning and on this first sunday of lent as we begin the journey that leads to easter might our hearts truly focus on each day as we ask oh god how can we be more faithful to walk this way with you And that in the midst of life, in the midst of all the things that come upon us, in the midst of illness and in the midst of discouragement, in the midst of issues in families and workplaces and schools, may we know, O God, that at times, even though the hill seems so steep, we know that you are the one who goes with us and gives us the strength to ascend every hill we face in life, and to know that somehow, way, O oh God, you bring us through this time, and you bring us to the other side. And so for those, O oh God, who seek your loving touch and healing, I pray the blessing of your spirit upon them in this place today. For those who are seeking answers for situations in family, of things that are perhaps pulling families apart, I pray, O oh God, that your peace might come to them, that they might find answers within their own family groups, I pray, O Lord, for those who are facing their job situations and people who are looking for jobs and those who need to find something soon. I pray, O God, that you'll guide them with sureness and and you'll give them an opportunity to see answered prayer in their lives. And I pray for all the rest of us, no matter what we're facing, O Lord, today. And we all have something that we have needs for and for which we lift our prayers. O God, we take the next few moments to simply be still. And in our silence, O God, to lift in our hearts those things that we need you to touch the most this morning, so that we will know that when we leave here today, we're going to leave with the beginning of an answer that you are bringing into our lives. And so, Lord, now hear us from our hearts of the needs for which we ask your blessing through Jesus Christ. O God, hear our hearts. We commit these, our prayers, into your hands. And by faith, in Christ's name, look now for the answer that you would bring. And this, O God, we pray in your name, and the name of him who asked us that we might pray, even as we say, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And now as our ushers come forward to wait upon us this morning for our gifts, tithes, and offerings, may we make this our opportunity to respond back to the God who has given us so much with generosity and with love. And now unto thee, O Lord, who has given to us more than all the gifts, both of land and sea, we render back unto thee this the millionth of thy gifts to us, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
3: Listen and receive a reading from the word of God.
0: Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us according to your grace and mercy.
3: May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear the scripture from St. John 18, 12, and 13, 15 to 17, 28, 19, 12, and 15:16. So the soldiers, their officer, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they took him to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, but Peter was standing outside the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? I am not, he said. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. From then on, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but the emperor then he handed him over to them to be crucified this is god's word to god's people
0: thanks be be unto God. god may we pray eternal god we give you thanks in the reading of this your holy word and ask once more as it is brought to us today that we might find its power more than words heard more than words read more than even words on page and ink but now these living words Anointed by your Holy Spirit, and that is, good seed that finds its way to good earth and digs forth roots and brings by bountiful harvest, may now this, the seed of the word of God, dig deeply into the soil of our souls and bring to us here, gathered here today, a harvest unto everlasting life through Jesus Christ, who is the very living word of God, and in whose name we pray. Amen. Last week, we gathered on Ash Wednesday to observe the beginning of Lent, the 40 days excluding Sundays that lead us to the last days of Christ's life, particularly his passion, his death, and his resurrection. Throughout the centuries, the church in many places, different countries, and different cultures have tried to convey the significance of this time by observing certain rituals. These rituals have been somewhat different, but all with the same intention to somehow communicate the power and the importance of the time of Christ's life in his last week and its relationship to our lives. Many of us are familiar with some of the rituals of Lent, particularly for liturgical churches. Such things as not meeting, eating meat on Fridays, wearing clothing, special services, fasting, doing penance, or giving up something for Lent. Just this last week, as we gathered with our brothers and sisters from the New Hope Lutheran Church and the Westlake Village Korean Church, I suggested to Brian, our associate pastor, who was going to leave the day after Ash Wednesday to Hawaii, that he might be willing to give up his vacation to me for Lent. He was not very religious in his response. But I have always felt that perhaps instead of trying to give up something, maybe, do you think just maybe it'd be better to take on something? To make it not such a negative approach to our faith, but something entirely more positive. I remember the story about the robber who um, continued to rob people during Lent. (laughs) And he robbed this one poor fellow, but the man was very sweet about it. He pulled out a pack of cigarettes and said, how about a cigarette? To which the robber said, oh no, I gave us up for Lent. <laughs> I guess you have to give us something that really matters for Lent to really make it something worthwhile. But perhaps you might consider what you might take on for Lent. One of the signature rituals of the church through the centuries, though most identified with the Orthodox and Catholic churches, has been the tradition called the walking of the Stations of the Cross. Anyone who attended a Catholic church has walked into the nave, and you have seen on the sides of the walls, different pictures, or perhaps sculptures, or perhaps a painting, and listing underneath them numbers that lead up to 14. Those are the Stations of the Cross. That's what this sermon series called The Stations of the Cross is going to look at as Brian and I bring to you messages in Lent that followed Jesus last week on earth and show us the power of God's love to each of us. Strictly speaking, The Stations of the Cross refer to that series of images depicting Christ during those last hours of his life and um, Christians stop at each one, contemplate the scene and what it means and then offer a prayer. It's a it's a way of being able to lift up something in a way that in that image reminds you of the actual happening. And of course, when this first occurred, these images were given in pre-literary times when people could not read or could they write, but the pictures told them the story. So it was a valuable way of people understanding the last week of Jesus' life. Often again, a series of 14 images. They'll be arranged in that number order. You'll find them in churches. You can find them in garden paths. You can find them in many different places. There's even opportunities to walk the stations, and there's no stations. Matter of fact, our current Pope Francis will this coming uh, Palm Sunday in Rome walk the stations of the cross in the Colosseum, and there will be no stations. So we understand that it is not the the picture that makes the difference. It's the heart of the people in prayer that makes difference the difference. This practice is common in the Roman Catholic Church, also in the Anglican church, uh, Lutheran, and even Methodist churches. The style and form of the stations can widely vary, but they basically center on a representation of an act of Christ's life. Therefore, the stations of the cross are also called the Via Dolorosa, or the Way of Sorrows, or simply called the Way, and they refer to Jerusalem on what is called the Via Dolorosa, which is the supposed route that Jesus took from the time that he was brought to the Caiaphas' house, which is our scripture today, and went down the streets of Jerusalem until he came to the place called Golgotha, where now stands the oldest church in Christendom, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. The tradition of moving to the stations probably came about with Saint Francis of Assisi, And it originated in pilgrimages that people made to the Holy Land to walk in the places of Christ. And there is something I must say by being there where Jesus walked and Jesus talked and Jesus uh, brought his message that makes it so very real. On the trips that I have been to the Holy Land, I have had the opportunity to walk in many of those places where without doubt, historically, were the places that Jesus was a part of. And one of those occasions is at the, the abbey, which is called the Dormition Abbey, on a hill just outside of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre where this account that we have in our scripture today takes place which is the house of Caiaphas and you can walk into that place which is the house you can see a place where Jesus most certainly would have been in prison at that time and I remember that we had one of our group it was uh, Richard Burke who the guide showing us through the location put him up on the wall asked him to put his hands up and showed how Jesus would have been beaten right there in the very place where Jesus would have received his first scourging from the Sanhedrin, and then I went outside and I stepped on what's called the steps of the White Fathers, and the White Fathers, in 1930, uncovered this section of steps that were the actual steps that Jesus leaving Caiaphas' house would have had to have gone up to the Praetorian floor to be judged by Pilate, and I remember it well because as I stood out, it, I didn't notice a sign that said, do not step on the steps. <laughs> <laughs> and for which I was uh, similarly shooed off of the the place, but it was kind of neat to have stood there for at least a moment. Very historical. And so, as people came home, knowing that most people would not make the pilgrimage, they said, how can we bring this experience to our churches? And so the Stations of the Cross in churches was started so that people who would have never been able to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land could also experience the places and the feelings and the prayers where Jesus himself walked in Jerusalem. The standard set of the stations from the 17th to the 20th centuries has included these. The first station is Jesus is condemned to death, the station we think of today jesus is carried his cross is the second station third jesus falls the first time fourth jesus meets his mother fifth simon of cyrene helps jesus carry the cross six veronica wipes the face of jesus seven jesus falls the second time eight jesus meets the women of jerusalem nine jesus falls the third time ten jesus is stripped of his garments eleven jesus is nailed to the cross twelve jesus dies on the cross 13, Jesus is taken down from the cross, and 14, Jesus is laid in the tomb, and of course there is no 15, because the last of the stations is Good Friday, and it has to wait to the power of Easter to see a resurrected, empty tomb. And out of the traditional 14 stations of the the cross, really only 8 of them have clear scriptural support. And the ones of Jesus falling, the ones of Jesus meeting his mother and Veronica wiping his face do not appear in scripture. But it's kind of interesting how Veronica wipes Jesus' face, became one of the stations because it is a misunderstanding of the Latin word veri icon, which may be translated true image, a true image of Christ. And someone heard that and they heard veri icon and they thought they said Veronica. And so that became the name of this station, simply by something that someone misunderstood. But even Pope Paul II introduced a new form of devotion called the Scriptural Way of the Cross on Good Friday in 1991, which recognizes this. And so today, we will be looking at the first station. Jesus is condemned to death. It begins in the upper room. It goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. We find Jesus being arrested by the high priest soldiers. We find him taken to Anna's house, the, son, the father-in-law of the high priest Caiaphas, and then brought to the praetorium judgment floor of Pontius Pilate. I have broken this down into five scripture passages, and the first presents the scene of Jesus having already met with his disciples in the upper room. He is taken from the Garden of Gethsemane, and it says this, verse 12, then the band and the captain the officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him and led him away to the high priest. What had started with such great hope for the disciples was now collapsing all around them. All of the things they hoped for, all the dreams they had, everything that they thought Jesus was about was now collapsing in front of their eyes. They knew long ago that the high priest was after Jesus, but now it had come to pass. They would eventually have to bring Jesus though before Pilate because the Jewish Sanhedrin could not condemn Jesus to death, capital punishment was in the hands of the governor. It was very easy at this point for all of us, and I'm sure I have done it as you have, it is very easy for us to say, how could the high priest have done this? It is very easy for us to blame Judas and say, how could Judas have betrayed his Lord? It is very easy for us to say, how could Pilate have collapsed so easily and done what was wrong? It is so very easy for us to say, how could the disciples have left Jesus? But I want us to know as we begin this journey of Lent today that the scripture is a scripture about every one of us. It is a scripture about every one of our own faithfulness. It is a scripture about every one of us who today must stand up for our faith And walk with Jesus Christ. It is the story of every person who has ever decided to follow Christ. Will I be loyal to him? It was just not Judas. It was just not the Sanhedrin. It was just not Pilate. It was not even Peter. Can you imagine Peter? He who said at the upper room, if all will fall away and run away, I will stand by you. And here in the scripture, in front of a woman who was just a servant. He denied that he even knew Jesus. I have wondered, perhaps have you, that if I were Peter, and I was in that room, and I was confronted to ask why it's I his follower, would I have been braver? Would I have stood by my faith? Would I have held the conviction in my heart? Would I have said, yes, surely, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, or would I too, as Pilate and the Sanhedrin and the disciples and Judas, denied the birthright of my faith? And so we gather today at the first station of the cross on this first Sunday of Lent. And I ask all of us, including myself, how faithful will we be in this journey for Jesus Christ? Of all the things in the world that compete against that faithfulness, of all the things in our lives that scream out not to follow him. Of all the things that come into life from those who surround us and scorn our faith and what we believe, will we stand up for what we truly believe about Jesus Christ? John 19.15 tells us this, but they cried out, away with him. Away with him and crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. And then he delivered Jesus onto them to be crucified. And it says they took Jesus and they led him away. As we begin this journey of Lent, each one of us is called to determine in our minds our faithfulness to Jesus and how faithful our walk will be. Each year since I have been here, at least once a year, I have shared with you the words of Dr. Elton Trueblood, Quaker theologian and writer, whose words in his book, Fellowship of the Unashamed, are perhaps the most poignant, precise, and compelling words I have ever read about what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Dr. Trueblood wrote, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back let up, slow down, back away, be still. My past is redeemed, my presence makes sense, my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, chintzy giving and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, pots or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded or rewarded. I now live by presence, I learn by By faith, love by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions are few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the face of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I will not give up, back up, let up, or shut up until i preached up, prayed up, stored up, and stayed up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until heaven returns until I drop, preach until I'll know, and work until he comes, and when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me, for my colors will be clear. May we pray. Eternal God, you call us to commitment you call us in Lent to follow the way, it's a hard way it's never been easy it's not so much giving up things as it is taking up a a new perspective and a a new faithfulness help us each one here, O God, today from this Sunday forward in this time of Lent to be more faithful to stand up for what we know is right and to be blessed by your spirit because we follow Jesus Christ. And because of that, O God, may we know that we are part of the fellowship of the unashamed who will not deny him, who gave his life that we might live. And this we pray in Jesus' name, for his sake and ours. Amen. As we join together in our closing hymn, I'd just like to share you a story about this hymn, God of Grace and God of Glory, was written by Harry Emerson Fosdick, the senior pastor of the Riverside Church in New York City on Riverside Drive. How many have been to the Riverside Church? Yeah, beautiful, gothic church. Fosdick was pastor there when Rockefeller donated the money to build that sanctuary. Where is Rockefeller when I need him? <laughs> Emerson Fosig wrote this, the words in 1930. The music, though, comes from a great Welsh tune called Coomranda. When he composed the words and someone said it to the music, he always said, I hate Coomranda. <laughs> I want you to know how wrong Fosdick was. Cumranda <laughs> happens to be my favorite tune. Several years ago at Royal Albert Hall in London, Tammy and I heard 1400 Welsh singers sing ronda in Welsh. We thought we had died and gone to heaven. So I'm going to ask you as we sing this song, not in Welsh, but as we stand to sing, I want you to sing with power, and I want you to sing with vigor, and I want good old Harry Emerson Fosdick to look down from heaven and see how wrong he was. Let's stand and join together. Number 577, God of grace and God of glory. you to take a moment to reach out and take the hand of someone near you. And I also want to remind you immediately following our service today, the hospitality committee has some wonderful Valentine treats for you. So come out and uh, enjoy the fellowship, uh, the good food and the treats and uh, we want to wish you all a very special happy Valentine's Day. We receive now the choir's uh, choral blessing and then the benediction.
1: The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen.
0: And so, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go forth this day to be true disciples of Jesus Christ, Amen. Amen.